Hey, party people. You have Jake Floyd Solo today, and I'm going to be discussing Scream 5, or just Scream, as it's referred to in the marketing. But for our purposes today, we'll be referring to it as Scream 5. I just saw this film in theaters recently. It's been out for over a month, so I didn't see it opening weekend or opening night or anything. So I can't speak to that type of experience. However, I will say, good crowd for a Monday night. There, People are definitely into it, which is fun. I do remember the original Scream. I'm going to save that whole look back through time, hopefully for a larger conversation with Seth in the near future on the franchise. I'm just going to say for the time being that I was absolutely terrified by the first film when I saw it. I remember I was at a sleepover with my friend Bill. I didn't sleep the whole night. I was staring daggers at his closet door waiting for Ghostface to jump out. He didn't. I made it. Happy ending, but rough night. I'm just going to say I would rank this up scream up with the exorcist arachnophobia and jaws in terms of real life terror it afflicted upon my soul and how much anxiety it caused me in my daily life at least for the brief time after seeing it with that history i was obviously naturally excited to be revisiting my old friend ghostface for a fifth time in the scream five film quick snapshot on how it's performed it's made 120 million dollars in the box office on a 24 million budget that's nearly 6x its production budget, which is very good. We just talked about 2.5x as being a break-even, 3x as being good. So this is a big success story for the studio, the franchise, and the box office during what's really a slow winter. It's also being helped by strong word of mouth and strong reviews. It has a B-plus on cinema score, 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. And so it, it's getting, and a weak schedule um, is allowing it to, a relatively weak competitive schedule is allowing it to do well. And with that being said, there's also a weak release schedule through February. So it can continue to run up the margins on that 120 million. All right. Business aside, I think, I think we can talk about the film now. I, I think as we all know, if you haven't listened to a mini so before, I like to keep it short. I usually like to focus on one question, one like, one gripe, just keep it brief. Um, so for this film, what I really liked about it, I really like the approach. I really like the story, and I really liked the meta-ness aspect to it. Um, that's becoming popular in other shows and movies now. We recently saw it in Matrix Four. In terms of this franchise, I liked Scream Four, but this film felt like it had more to say, or at least what it had to say about this generation felt more poignant. Or in other words, what this film had to say about the state of horror fandom and culture felt as sharp and relevant as that first screen, which I think is a huge accomplishment in and of itself. All right, focusing more so on this movie. I already alluded to this, but the, the whole film is very meta. And in this case, the film is about the concept of a requel and they approach it through the stab films. For those who don't know, the stab films, it is a movie within a movie. The stab films exist within the Scream universe and they are fictionalized accounts of the actual Scream films themselves. It allows the characters and the story to approach everything in a very meta way as they, because when they're discussing the stab films, they're really in effect discussing the screen films. It's very confusing. Um, I, I've had to re-record this a few times because I keep losing myself. I'm going to try and keep this top line when I speak of the meta-ness and the requels, and hopefully we will allow a deeper conversation for when Seth can join so he can help bring his normal eloquence and articulate articulation to this conversation. But for the time being, I'm going to do as best I can. 
it is a very meta concept. And so this film deals with the concept of a requel and how difficult it is to appease the modern audience of a franchise because they generally won't accept a full reboot and they just don't want to see the same thing recycled over and over again. They just don't want to keep seeing endless sequels. For that, and, and in those examples, they don't want to see a full reboot because they consider a waste of their time and they just don't want to see the same thing recycled over and over again. Um, just look to Matrix 4 or look to some of the horror genres like Jason is on like Jason 17 now and those have diminishing returns. And so again, the a requel is a combination of a reboot and a sequel. And what ends up happening is this puts the demands of the audience, put the creators in a bind where they need to create a story that ties in enough old elements to satisfy their existing fan base and ground the story within that world. We're also bringing in enough new elements to keep the older fans interested, uh, to progress the story, keep things evolving, and also bringing in new fans to grow that fan base. It is definitely threading a needle. It's difficult. It's something Seth and I talk about a, a lot. And I really like how this film approached it. It's a meta conversation. It's something that Matrix 4 spent a lot of time tackling with their video game subplot. Uh, but here the movie tackles the concept and the question of the requel and, fand and toxic fandom very efficiently and effective in what are a few scenes. And what's really helpful is that conversation resonates throughout the entire film. And Seth and I talk about layering films and when telling stories, the ability to layer different meanings or symbols or mythologies or stories all at once in the single scene or act is, is really impressive. To me, that's what this film does. Again, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to save that whole deeper conversation for a future with Seth. But I just really like their approach. And, and to me, what makes this film even all the more incredible is they're basically calling their shot due to the aspect, due to the meta aspect of the script. Uh, and they go even further. Like they use the whole question of toxic fandom, unfair audience and unfair audience expectations to their benefit to keep the audience guessing throughout the film. And throughout the film, you also have people trying to guess who's the killer based on past films. And it's just really interesting. It's really fun. And, and they did a great job of introducing all the characters and then just keeping you guessing about who it is or who it isn't. It's really well done. I'm going to leave it there. I hope I get the opportunity to discuss again further with Seth, but really like the approach. The one last thing I just want to quickly throw a nod to, I know, you know I normally say I just like to speak about one like. I just got to throw out some love to the cast, uh, both old and new. David Arquette, Courtney Cox, and Nev Campbell bring like the perfect energy to the film as the OGs. They're, they have that we're too old for this shit mentality. But at the same time, they, they don't allow it to lapse into a joke. They imbue the film with enough seriousness and stakes that it's still there's still a dramatic element there. And the young cast, especially Jack Quaid, Melissa Barrera, and Jasmine Savoy-Brown, for me, they're the standouts among the youths. The rest of them are pretty forgettable. Um, but specifically... Jack, Jack Quaid is great in his role. Melissa Barrera, I love her as the new as the new lead. She has an interesting story as well as a character. And Jasmine Savoy-Brown, I don't know if anywhere here has seen uh, Yellow Jackets, the Showtime series. I liked it. She's incredible on in it. Jasmine Savoy-Brown is one of my new favorite young actresses. I, she's incredible in the film. Excited to see where they take her. Or excuse me, that character in the future films. Okay going to quickly touch on my gripe here. I had, I had a few, but this is the one that, that I just kept coming back to. To me, this young friend group just doesn't make any sense. The 90s cast was just very 90s. 
it reminded me of re reality bites generation. It's post jock. They were cool and hot because they were cool and hot. They weren't really jocks. They weren't theater geeks. They never talked about school. They were just good looking kids who were dicking around and drinking and partying. And for me, I mean, that's not the best defined group, but it worked in that setting, in that scene. But this group just bothers me a little bit more. This group's a bit of everything. And I get, Seth and I talk about this a lot, and this is something people talk about all the time. You have friends from growing up who are your friends throughout life, but you realize if you hadn't met them when you were younger, you might not have stayed, might have never been friends or stayed friends. Totally get that. But the film, it doesn't really take that approach and never even gives that any voice. But this is the thing that bothers me about this group of friends. It's just very eclectic. You, we have the twins, you have like the jock, the traditional jock, and then the lesbian film critic. There is a virgin punk, uh, a sheriff's dorky son with weird highlights that felt like they're from the 90s. Um, there's a creepy goth girl in the group. And then there is the Tara, who's like a goody two-shoes. I know high school is weird, but that group of friends just doesn't make any sense. They also don't like each other. None of them mourn their friends' deaths as the film goes on or register the eventual betrayals with the right amount of weight or emotion that you would. I just don't understand why any of them are friends and the film never, never sells it to me. And that's one of the things all the previous films did a better job of doing. And it's important. You establish the group of friends so that eventual deaths and betrayals hit harder. But I just didn't feel that here. It's uh, when they were dying, I just didn't have that same emotional attachment, um, at least to these young characters. On to my question. They mentioned that there are always two killers in this film. Quick aside, it reminds me of the rule of two for the Sith from the Star Wars universe. But quickly bringing back to here for the always, there are always two killers rule. They kept saying it throughout the film, which led me to believe that it wasn't going to be two killers. I thought it was going to be one or a third killer. And they actually alluded to a third killer in Scream 3, which I think is slightly underrated. Um, but that, to me, at one point I thought it might be gang stalking too, like some type of gang stalking situation. I'm going to fully concede they talk about toxic fandom and unfair expectations. These are expectations that I put on the film through, through my own Devices, so the film the film didn't set me up or anything wrong, but that's why I'm making this a question, not a gripe. If there's an area for the franchise that feels like it's ready for a new wrinkle and one that wouldn't really upset the fans too much, I think it's changing that rule of two. I am personally surprised. I think one of the two approaches would be one, it would make sense. One, you could just go three. I think that's easy. You can make it one killer and then make it more the film about how, how an achievement it was, how they were able to kill all these people um, and make it seem like there are more of them. I'm already rewriting it. I said I want to do that. But the there are always two killers rule for me. If, it seems like if there's, a, again, talk about fan expectations, I think you could change that in a way that would fans would like. They would be surprised by the twist, thinking they already know what's coming, thinking that they would be, so they'll be surprised by the twist. And it's a part of the mythology that I feel like isn't sacrosanct. It, it's, I don't think too many people will be upset. Then again, we're talking about toxic fandom here, could be wrong, but I'll say this in the hands of these writers and directors, I think that that would be a welcome change to the mythology. Okay. Heading on to my final score here. 
I think the movie is a worthy and welcome entry into the franchise. Uh, just like the original explores some philosophy and social commentary while trying to invigorate the slasher genre. Uh, Scream 5 is a proud champion of the slasher genre, just like the original Scream. I think the film ultimately does a good job of playing with the audience expectations. However, ultimate, ultimately, it relies more on suspense than terror, which is why I'm docking it a few points in my book. It's a great slasher film, but it's not necessarily a great horror film. And I think the first Scream was both. All that being said, I think this is still an effective horror film. And I think it's safe to say it's probably my second favorite Scream film. So kudos on both of those fronts. I definitely recommend it. It's a great date movie, great horror flick. And it also offers some uh, timely social commentary and some welcome humor. I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10. I definitely recommend going to see it. Don't know. Yeah, I think you could see it alone. It's not too scary. Maybe better to see it alone. You know, bring someone if you got them. Okay, I'm losing myself here. I'm going to wrap up now. Thank you for joining me, everyone. Uh, I will talk to you all soon.